Welcome to the Manly Banter. Everything you're about to hear is raw. Like prison sex. It's uncut. Like my penis. Unedited. Like every celebrity sex tape. Unfiltered. Like a black and mild. And if you're easily offended or don't know if you're easily offended. You're going to learn today. Back out now. And if you decide to stay. Enjoy. Charlie might get shot. Uh, come on, Whitney, Disney, go on, get down, get on, get on, little diddly. Welcome back to the Manly Banter. This is Bash. And this is Bader. And today really isn't our show. Uh, this is uh, <laughs> kind of someone else's show today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I found a really good podcaster, uh, Dr. No Sleep. Uh, all he does is horror stories, and he does a really good fucking job at it, too. Um, so I wanted to share some of these stories on our podcast just to get him out there. Uh, I want to try to reach out to him and get a hold of him and maybe uh, do a collab with him. Yeah, that would be fun. That'd be awesome. This guy is really, really good, and you can tell he puts a lot of hard work and effort into this. I wish we had the kind of time I know. to do that. I know. But uh, we, we got some voice acting coming up. Yeah. So we'll yeah. be uh, partaking in some other cool stuff. Might hear us on that. Hopefully not fucking it up. No, we ain't gonna we, fuck it up. We ain't no. There'll be a lot of cuts. Yeah, but it's gonna. But be we'll good. get it. It'll be good. Um, anything you want to say before we get started? Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna copy some words from the uh, great Nicki Minaj and uh, watch me bounce that ass, boo. It's probably not her words. I don't know anything about Nicki Minaj. I don't know, man. I'm going to take some words from her. And kind of ain't got none. Unless you got buns, hon. That's not from her. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's her mix a lot. <laughs> oh, man. But that was a good one. Here we go butchering shit again. That wop. Uh, that wop. Get a bucket and a mop. Is that, I, is that really her lyrics? I think that's her. <laughs> oh, dude, I didn't even Get know. Wet ass pussy. <laughs> oh, is that God. her? I don't know. I don't know who sings that. I, I heard it on TikTok once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Macaroni in a pot. That's some wop. Get a bucket and a mop. That's Wait, some wop. So if I put macaroni in a pot, I get wop? That's what wop sounds like. Wet ass pasta. Wet that, ass pasta. Okay, man. We're getting Italian on this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a spicy. <laughs> I had, oh, dude, I had a really good pasta joke the other night, and I can't remember how it went, but it was fucking good. But anyways, let's let's get started, because this yeah. guy is fucking awesome. Uh, this one's called, I Spent 12 Days in the World's Quietest Room. Now, this is the one I was talking about on the previous episode, two, I think it was like two episodes ago, when we were talking about... Um, Dreams, dream talk, and stuff like that. Pretty sure I brought it up in that episode. It might have been the death or life after religion, maybe. I don't know. But we'll see. This is really good. Here we go. If there's ads in there, um, he's getting credit for that, I guess, because we're playing it. Yeah. So enjoy. It's a good 20-minute um, little uh, story here. This is really fucking good. Let's do this. Else, talk to nice. 
I spent 12 days in the world's quietest room. Now I wish I was deaf. As I slowly regained consciousness, I felt a wave of dullness wash over my fractured mind. I couldn't move, much less remember what had happened before I passed out. My eyes burned as I opened them. I'd spent too much time in darkness to quickly adapt to the incessant flow of light. Hello? I tried to call out, but what emerged from my lips was merely a whisper. Once I could finally see, I took note of the room I'd awoken in. The walls, floor, and ceiling were all covered in weird sound insulation foam. I tried to get to my feet, but my legs refused to cooperate. They weren't atrophied, but had weakened significantly. That fact, alongside my groggy mind, made me realize I must have been drugged. Is there anyone there? I asked, a bit louder that time. No response. I tried to think back, clawing at my own memories, hoping for even the faintest scrap of information. I'd been heavily sedated. That much was clear. But why they'd placed me in a soundproof room, I didn't know. After what felt like an eternity, I finally managed to pull myself up onto my feet. Still feeling wobbly, I started to look for an exit. Alas, everything around me was perfectly sealed in that ridiculous foam. I collapsed back to the floor, still exhausted from sleep. That's when I truly realized just how quiet it was. The room wasn't just keeping sound in, but it kept everything out as well. No people talking, no traffic, not even the sound of water pipes built into the walls. It was deafening. I held my breath and pressed my ear against the wall. Nothing. All I could hear was my own heart beating and the sound of my intestines churning away at whatever I'd eaten the day before. What seemed almost fascinating at first quickly became my worst nightmare. Within the room, I was the only source of sound and in the absence of any external stimulus, the silence got louder. Please, let me out of here, I begged. Then, I remembered something. Nothing more than a faint hint of a distant memory. A glance into a time long since past. It was a meeting. A conversation I'd had with a man I couldn't recognize. Why are you here? The man asked. I'm sorry, sir. This isn't a good place, Ryan. You're young, healthy. Shouldn't you be out in the real world? Maybe find a wife? I had one. The brief memory was cut short by a paper floating through the air. While distracted, someone had delivered a note through the ceiling. Hey, what the hell is this? Let me out! I called as I looked for whatever hole the note had come from. Without a response, I picked the paper up. It was oddly soft, producing almost no sound as my fingers brushed over it. On it was a single line of text. Day one. Listen. Listen to what, assholes? I called out. I started running around the room, desperately trying to pry the foam off the walls in search of a way out. It was a futile task, and before long, I collapsed to the floor in exhaustion. The drug still lingered in my body, and I couldn't think clearly enough to form a coherent escape plan. There's a significant difference between being deaf and living in absolute silence. Same goes for being blind versus being put into darkness. Without functioning sensory organs, but no input, 
your mind takes it upon itself to come up with stimuli. Anything even remotely audible gets amplified a thousand times over. As my mind drifted away, another memory greeted my shattered brain. So that's it? The man asked. You lost her, and now you're here. He paused. What happened to her? I killed her. I responded with a trembling voice. I awoke once more. I was immediately assaulted by the sounds produced by my own internal organs. God damn it! Shut up! I yelled at myself. There were no echoes within the room. Each word I spoke simply vanished into the insulation foam. I had to constantly keep talking to myself just to keep my own bodily sounds at bay. That's the first time I noticed how desperately I needed to use the bathroom. What if I need to take a piss then? I asked out loud. With that, one of the foam panes popped up from the ground. Beneath lay little more than a small, foam-covered tunnel. Even my own stream of urine fell silently down into the darkness below. Once I finished relieving myself, another piece of foam fell from the ceiling. Alongside it, a stream of water appeared. It hit the ground almost without producing a sound and was immediately absorbed by the foam. Nevertheless, I dove under it, parched from a day without liquid. After the stream stopped, I picked up the second piece of paper. Day two. Do you hear them yet? It read. What the fuck are you talking about? I yelled to no one in particular. Still, no response. Not that I expected anything else. I spent most of day two investigating the room. With the drugs cleared from my system, I could finally think. Despite being clear of mind, my memories remained hazy. There was no way out. No cracks in the horrendous facade. I was alone in an isolated room. The churning sounds of my intestines are the only thing to keep me company. I tried lying in different positions to muffle the sounds, but it felt as if they just grew louder. Confused and trapped, I had another memory flash by. It's an anhedonic chamber, the quietest place in the entire world. A concrete block resting on a spring plate, isolated with soundproof foam, to make sure not a single sound can get in, nor out. While one exists at Orfield Laboratories, this one is special. One by my own design, the man said. It must have been expensive. What's the point? I asked. To make people hear the truth. On the third day, I didn't awake until I heard the faint sound of water hitting the foam. I shot to my feet and started drinking from the short-lasting stream. That time, they even dropped down some weird loaf of bread. It was heavy and packed with strange bits of vegetables and seeds, some kind of neutral loaf. A note also dropped down alongside the food and water. Day three. Accept it, it read. Hey guys, I want to take a minute to thank Audible for sponsoring the podcast and 100% edge-of-your-seat entertainment. If you enjoyed Weir's popular sci-fi novel, The Martian, then you're in for a real treat with Project Hail Mary. Listen to Andy Weir's newest sci-fi novel, Project Hail Mary, on Audible today by going to audible.com slash Project Hail Mary. After just seven months, Project Hail Mary has already topped Audible's bestseller charts and continues to garner rave listener reviews. So be sure to check it out today by going to audible.com slash Project Hail Mary. It felt like pure ecstasy to hear the bread tear apart as I bit into it. Finally... 
an audible sound that didn't come from my own guts. Unfortunately, it was short-lived. As soon as the bread had been eaten, I was once again plunged into absolute silence. I tried to keep myself preoccupied by talking, but my voice could only keep going for so long before my throat dried out. I realized then that they were purposefully keeping my water supply limited to prevent exactly that. I'd be too weak to fight back, too weak to keep talking, but healthy enough to remain conscious. There I sat, listening to my own organs work. I hated them. Disgusting pieces of flesh that produced squishy, sickly sounds that never ceased. Then I heard something new. A faint voice hidden beneath the sound of my beating heart. Please, just make it stop. I can't take it anymore, the voice said. It belonged to that of a woman, oddly familiar, yet so strange. Hey, where are you? I called out. It hurts so much. I don't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? There was no discernible location for the sound. It almost felt as if it was coming from both nowhere and everywhere all at once. Come on, I need to know where you are if I'm going to help you. Ryan, it hurts so much. Please help me, she begged before the voice vanished into thin air. Linda? Oh, my God! I called out, praying her voice would return. It had been my wife, the voice I'd longed to hear for so long. I almost couldn't believe it. Through the immense silence, I'd heard the love of my life, and she was suffering. I cried as memories of her flowed back, how she had died. I'm sorry, I said out loud. I'm so, so sorry. Please forgive me. But she wasn't real. She had to be a figment of my imagination, or a hallucination brought on by the quiet room I'd been living in. As I sobbed into the foam floor, my mind wandered involuntarily back to my most recent, partially intact memory. How did she die? The man asked. Why are you asking me these questions? I already signed the fucking papers for Project Orcus. Because you might be able to talk to her again. The fourth day arrived, and another piece of paper dropped from the ceiling. Day four. Don't ignore them. They're as real as you and me, it read. I tore the letter apart, not out of anger, but to enjoy the barely audible sound it produced as I ripped it to pieces. I made sure they were only thin strips, keeping it going for as long as possible. I savored every moment of it before I was forced back into silence. No sooner had the silence returned before I started hearing whispers all around me. At first, they were just incomprehensible sounds, voices that didn't make any sense. But among it all, I heard Linda call out for me. Ryan, stay away. It's not safe here, she begged. But she wasn't the only one. There were dozens of muffled whispers all around me. I tried to filter them out, focusing only on my wife's beautiful, haunting voice. But as time passed, they kept getting louder. Day five arrived. I was on the brink of total insanity. The whispers had kept me awake for hours, only to vanish when the next paper quietly hit the ground. The voices will set you free. It was a temporary relief. After I'd torn the paper to shreds, the voices immediately returned. Each hour gone made them louder, and I could do nothing to block them out. Day six came and went in the blink of an eye. 
the voices had fused together. The mess of sound that came from all around me just never ceased for a single second. Even as I shouted with my hoarse voice, they just kept coming. The only real thing I remember from the day is the note that fell from the ceiling. Keep quiet and let them guide you. Once I'd lost my voice completely, I sat back and surrendered. I let the voices overrun my mind, still growing louder and louder and louder. That's when I realized that they weren't whispers at all. They were screams. Each of the thousand voices that had haunted me were cries for help. The people, wherever they came from, were in perpetual, unrelenting pain. They were begging me for a way out, but I could do nothing except listen to their infinite suffering. In the midst of it all, I still heard the voice of my wife. I don't know why hers was louder or clearer than the others. I'd been clinging firmly to the idea that it was all in my mind, but my sanity couldn't prevail for much longer. Soon, I'd have to give in. Let me the fuck out of here! I shouted as loud as I could, with my hoarse voice. My mind was deteriorating rapidly. Day eight was a haze of broken thoughts, and day nine didn't fare much better. I stopped reading the notes. The screams kept going. Among them, I could hear discernible words and phrases, but it wouldn't be until the tenth day before I could finally understand them. Help me, please, a child cried. You're not real. None of you are real, I said back. But you can hear us. You're nothing but figments of my broken mind. You're all in my head. That doesn't mean we're not real. I, I can prove it. How? The last note that fell from the ceiling. It's a list of names. I glanced over at the papers I still haven't checked. As I picked one up, I realized he was right. Henry Jones, Peter Dawson, Alex Moore, David Lawrence. I dropped the paper and picked up another. The same list, same people, but no instructions. Who are they? I asked. They are the people you're supposed to find. The child responded. I'm one of them. My name is Alex. What happened to you? But it was too late. His voice had faded away, replaced by the continuous screams of torture. I kept my eyes fixed on the paper, and as I read the names one more time, another memory flashed by. Do you know what to do? The man asked. Yes, sir. We need to sedate you, and you'll undergo electroshock therapy. It's the only way you'll be susceptible to the environment. I understand, I responded plainly. It's dangerous. I don't care. It also means you'll be extremely disoriented when you wake up. You might have forgotten who I am, or even who you are. That's why it's of the utmost importance that you keep the mission in mind. Don't forget it. Let it be the only thing you remember. For the next day, I sat in a corner, barely drinking or eating. All I did was repeat the names on the list, hoping the mystery would somehow unravel itself. Henry Jones, Peter Dawson, who the hell are you guys? I mumbled to myself. Then, as if a switch had been flicked on, I suddenly understood. The screams, the whispers, the voices, everything I'd heard for the past 11 days made sense. A veil had been lifted from my mind, and I could understand everything they'd been trying to tell me. Brian? My wife called out for me. Linda, you're still with me. I responded with a hint of joy. 
I don't have much time. It's hard to keep focused, she said, clearly struggling. What's happening to you? It's not important right now. I just need you to know that it wasn't your fault. Her words of comfort hardly masked the pain she was in. Yes, it was. I was... Before I could finish my sentence, I was interrupted by more deafening screaming. It's time for you to leave, she said. Wait, are you okay? She paused. No, none of us are. I'm sorry, she said with a trembling voice. With that, she vanished for the last time, and a final paper fell from the ceiling. Day 12. Did you find them? I took a moment just to listen. There, among the pain, I heard them call out for me. They'd been a part of the same project as me, and had since died. Yet, they held the instructions I needed to get out of the room. There was something scattered around within the phone. Seven buttons that had to be pushed in a certain order, based on the voices to get out. After a few tries, I correctly pressed the buttons in the correct order. I stepped outside. For the first time in almost two weeks, I saw another human being. Welcome back, Ryan. You made it, the man said. I didn't respond. I just walked past him and traversed the long hallways towards the end of the anhedonic chamber. Once outside, I just collapsed to the ground and listened to all the insignificant sounds around me. Water flowing through pipes, the silent hum of old fluorescent light bulbs, footsteps shuffling around the facility. It was all equally heavenly. Once I'd gotten used to the real world, the man joined me. He was my boss. I could remember that much, but my memory still remained hazy due to whatever treatment I'd been given before entering the chamber. Are you ready to talk? He asked. I sat down by the table, listening to the chairs scrape against the solid floor. The names, he said. Do you remember them? Henry Jones, Peter Dawson, Alex Moore, David Lawrence. I responded without skipping a beat. And you're aware of what happened to them? I nodded. Tell me. Henry Jones, age 75, passed away from fourth stage lung cancer. He signed up for the Orcus project a month before his death. Payment was supposed to be sent to his family. Go on. Peter Dawson, age 32, diagnosed with ALS and immediately signed up for the Orcus project. David Lawrence, age 56, passed from heart failure. And Alex Moore. He wasn't a part of the project. He was a child. I still don't know what happened to him. Neither do we, the man said as he smiled at me. Good work. And how are they doing now? He continued. I thought back to everything I'd heard through the screams. I'd been given mostly bits and pieces. It took me a moment just to pull it all together. They're in pain. They say the last moment of consciousness they ever experienced is what they've been going through for every moment since their passing. There's no safe haven on the other side, no paradise, only the everlasting pain they felt before death. He scribbled down some notes onto a piece of paper. A smile still occupied his face, as if his theories had been confirmed. Thank you, Ryan. We at Artifacts owe you a great debt for your services. This marks the end of our partnership. As agreed, you'll be well provided for, he said, as he gestured for a couple of guards to take me away. As they escorted me towards the exit, my boss gave me a final glance. Enjoy the rest of your life, Ryan, he said. I packed a few belongings that I had. There were still multiple holes in my memory spanning over the past year, but I suppose that's why they let me just go. 
I know nothing about the people in charge. Even my knowledge about the Orcus project is scanty. Once I returned home, I started to remember the life I'd left behind. The rough memories of my dead wife. I'd signed up to get away from my failure to keep her safe. And when the man first told me I could talk to her again, I was ecstatic. It was a mistake. Because even now that I'm a hundred miles away from the anodonic chamber, I still hear them screaming. They never stop. They're in so much pain. And once we die, we'll all join them in their misery. Holy shit. That was good. That man <clears throat> is the goat of the Horror Story podcast. Yeah, that was that was really good, dude. Doctor- I felt like I was listening to Creepypasta. Yeah, that's Dr. No Sleep right there. Go look him up, man. He's he's amazing. There are so many stories that he tells. There's probably like 200 episodes no that shit. are all really good like that. About 20, 20 minutes long, 15 minutes long. They're pretty good. Yeah. There's some shorter ones. Quality is just Oh, awesome. yeah. Yeah, he, he really puts the time in. <clears throat> but, yeah. You got any good stories like that? Uh, that is a hard one to top. Yeah, you can't top that. <laughs> no, you ain't topping that. No, I can't even come close to matching that. No, I got to do research to top that shit. Yeah, he's got some big dick energy right there. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, man. Here's my theory on big dick people. They ain't got a lot of time. <laughs> they ain't got a lot of time. No, they're too busy slinging that big dick around. Um, yeah, they don't have the endurance. <laughs> it's like fat people and skinny people. Fat people got a lot of weight behind them, but they ain't lasting too long. <laughs> but the, the fucking thigh slamming's pretty good, though, eh? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, dude, I I don't know how to come up with something close to that right yeah, now. I don't um, know. Dude, there's no coming close to that. That's incredible. And these are just stories he makes, or... Uh, he, he, there is, um, a guy who writes these stories for him and he does all the narration and, and oh, uh, sound man. effects for, for all these stories that write. I want to, I want to talk to his writer. Fuck. Yeah, dude. It, I, I bet she's not cheap. No. Bet she's not cheap. No. We'll just tell him that we're more successful than we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. You got me beat good, sir. Yeah. Oh my god, that that is some really good writing. Like I don't even know what the fuck to say after hearing that. It was good. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> those who just listened to that, I, I'm curious to hear how you feel about it too. Um. You said you had two stories by him, or what? Yeah. There's another one. Um. You know, now I need to get more uh, detail and quality when telling a story. So thanks for playing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Oh no, don't be sorry, man. It was because, like, you can tell that the writer really cared about what they were, the story they were portraying. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like they did an awesome job. Like, the writing aspect is amazing. The storytelling was great. I, I. I have nothing negative to say about that person. I would love to be able to talk with them. Um, <clears throat> uh, how did you find Dr. No Sleep? I was just just typed in uh, on uh, the podcast app, the Apple Podcast. I just typed in horror stories. 
Like so, I was like, I want to l- just listen to something, some good fucking stories while I work. And yeah. I came across it. And I was like, they're not very long. They're really good quality. And I got to call Bader up and let him know. <laughs> yeah, dude. When I, <laughs> so when I do any like house chores or whatever, like dishes or laundry or whatever, I always have my headphones in and I'm just kind of like in that world. And every time it's, it's a horror story or a suspense story or missing people. Um, now I'm going to fucking power through all 200 episodes. Of yeah. That. They're yeah. too good, man. I'll be powering through all these while I work for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm out there 10 hours a day. Bet you I won't even scratch the surface. No, <laughs> there's no. he's got so much content. And it's probably still coming out. He probably has a decent following for that quality. I'd be really disappointed if he didn't. Yeah. Um, the quality is way too good not to. So I, I tried to jump through the ads in there, but I didn't want to jump too far. So you got like half of half of his advertisement in there. That's all right. Whatever. Yeah, that book might be pretty good. Operation Hail Mary. Yeah, it's it's actually in his description, too. I check out uh, Richard Saxon's new book here, From the Depths. That's what it's called. From the, I might have to check that out. I uh, like audible books. So this next one is actually 17 minutes long, and we do have time for that. Yeah. Uh, this will be the last one. So if you don't want to hear another really good fucking horror story, go fuck yourself um, <laughs> and move on to the next episode. It's like the worst thing to fucking... I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for taking your time to listen to us. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I will try to jump through the beginning to get it started. All right. Um, I guess here we go. This one's called Click Here to End Simulation. You ready? Ooh, we talk a lot about end simulation. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to play this one, because it's actually really fucking good. All right. All right, here we go. It's 2021. Walmart Plus membership here to end simulation number 1815251820. That was the subject of the email I just received. No message, no joke, just a link to click. I peeked around the room, looking for the culprit of yet another practical joke. Our floor was massive, just about big enough to house about 300 cubicles. But Robert, who'd sent me the message, was nowhere in sight. One of my neighbors chuckled. (laughs) I diverted my attention towards the sound. Maybe they were in on it, too. It wasn't uncommon for us to make our own fun, as our boss hardly paid attention, and the work was fairly monotonous. Just as I was about to trash the email, Robert returned to the floor. He gave me a glance and smiled, the same mischievous look I'd seen a hundred times before. He was a funny guy, always inventing his own harmless pranks for a cheap laugh. So once I'd practically confirmed that the email was his doing and not some malicious virus, I clicked the link. Do you confirm the termination of number 1815251820? I sighed, a tired smile stretching across my face. What ridiculous prank could it be? I clicked yes and looked over at his cubicle. Robert had frozen in place. His smile had vanished, and he just stared in my general direction, not moving a muscle. Rob, what are you doing? I asked, still awaiting the punchline of the joke. Then he simply vanished. He didn't leave. He didn't duck down behind his desk. No, he simply disappeared without a trace. I stood up from my chair and walked over, confused and mildly terrified. None of my co-workers had flinched at the event. All of them just sat in their cubicles, diligently typing away, filling the office with background noise. 
What are you doing? Our break hasn't started yet, Jennifer said as she noticed me pacing around. You didn't see that? I asked. See what? Robert. He just vanished into thin air. Who? It could have been an elaborate prank. But even if the whole office was in on it, I couldn't logically explain how an office worker just seemed to be erased from existence. While I contemplated different theories, I checked under his desk and looked around for suspicious-looking colleagues. In the midst of my search for answers, a ping sounded from my computer, alerting me to yet another email. I rushed back and opened my inbox, hoping Robert had sent me something, even if nothing more than laughing at how easily he had tricked me. But instead of Robert, Jennifer was marked as the sender. Click here to end simulation number 10514. All right, Jen, very funny, but please stop, I said, a bit too loud. I'd garnered the attention of my neighboring co-workers, who asked me to keep quiet. Jennifer came over with an annoyed look on her face. We'd never been particularly close, but she wasn't one to shy away from a good prank, though she could never contain her emotions enough to go through with it without laughing. This was the first time I'd seen her genuinely annoyed. Look, I don't have time for this. What's the deal with you today? I pointed to the email, demanding an explanation, but she kept her facade going. I didn't send that, she claimed. Then why does it mark you as the sender? She sat down on my chair to take a closer look. Huh, that's weird, she said as she clicked on the link. No, wait, I tried to stop her, but she'd already confirmed the termination. And just like Robert, she disappeared without a trace. I stumbled back in shock. In the span of a minute, two of my colleagues had simply ceased to exist. I stared at my suddenly empty chair with a horrified expression on my face. By then, my other co-workers had started to look at me with concerned eyes, oblivious to what had just happened. Before I got a chance to explain myself, another three pings were heard from my computer. Three new emails, three new numbers. Click here to end simulation number 41225 from Dave. Click here to end simulation number 112935 from Alice. Click here to end simulation number 112524 from Alex. They had come from three of my co-workers, all of them unaware their heads still glued to their computer screens, diligently tapping away at their keyboards. James, my office, please. I turned around to see my boss. He'd taken note of my frantic behavior and wanted to check up on me. You want to tell me what's going on? He asked as he closed the door. Sir, Robert and Jenny, they just disappeared. I stuttered. He sighed. Sit down, please. In my agitated state, I wanted to refuse. I wanted to run out and prove to him that I hadn't gone crazy. But suddenly, I just found myself sitting, obeying him without even thinking. So they're gone, huh? I take it you saw their numbers? Their numbers? You know about this? I asked. James, this is the end of phase one. That's why they sent you the numbers. They're shutting them down, he said matter-of-factly. I looked at my boss. He still smiled, unfazed by the idea that two of his employees had just been erased and that three would soon follow. Sir, what the hell is going on here? What is phase one? Why are they being shut down? Are they being fired? He chuckled in response. Fired is a nice way of putting it, but it's not entirely how it works here. James, why don't you tell me what we do at this company? He asked. The question was bizarre considering the situation. We're a... We're... We type into the computers. We... I couldn't give a straight answer. I thought back. Firm memories of typing at my keyboard, but no memory as to why. It had always been something I did on autopilot. I never actually thought about the task at hand. He noticed my confusion. Exactly, James. And how long have you been with us? How long? I've been here for... I... I didn't know. 
I'd never thought about the time past. It could have been years, or it could have been a week. I don't understand, I finally said with terror in my voice. My boss put a comforting hand on my shoulder. He'd been sitting in the chair just in front of me, but now suddenly he stood behind me. We couldn't perfectly keep your mind healthy, at least not here, but you're a great start, a perfect way to prove that our company has a great future. What the hell are you talking about? Think back, James. What brought you here? How did we meet? What's my name? The barrage of questions rendered me speechless for a moment. I couldn't recall even the most basic information. You're my boss. Your name is... It's... I didn't know. He went to grab me a glass of water to calm me down. I grabbed it with trembling hands and realized I couldn't remember the last time I drank anything. Or ate, for that matter. You remember going to the hospital? You had a malignant brain tumor. You came to us for help, he said calmly. I... I don't remember. We couldn't fix you, James. We didn't have the tools yet. But we did our best to put your mind in a place where it could keep living while we developed the cure. You did say you wanted to keep living. I stared at the window behind my boss's desk. Its curtains were bright from the sun shining inside. But that was just it. Beyond the light, I couldn't see anything. No streets outside. No sky. Nothing. My mind slowly started to settle on the idea that everything around me had been specifically made only to distract me from the truth that nothing existed beyond the boundaries of our office. My co-workers, they're not... They're not real? I'm not real either? I basically screamed in panic as reality set in. No, 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 James. Of course you're real. You're just as real as myself. But your body is in stasis. It takes some time for the mind to accept the transition. But don't worry. We're still working out the kinks. Stasis? What did that even mean? I looked down, still seeing my hands, my legs, everything where it was supposed to be. Yet the messages I'd received and simulation had been firmly locked in my mind. I know it's a lot to take in, but you signed the contract. You said you wanted to take part in the trials. And although they weren't as successful as we'd hoped, we still made progress. The thing is, James, adults have lost all their plasticity. Their brains just won't adapt to a new environment, which is why we've moved on to, well, younger subjects. People with more malleable minds. What the fuck are you talking about? You were in phase one, but it's time to move on. Wait, am I going to die? Not yet. We couldn't remove the tumor, but we did halt it. Actually, think of it as a metabolic pause. We managed to stop the tumor from growing by essentially freezing all neurological functions. And while your brain is still operating at minimum capacity, it's simply not enough to wake up, and thus you remain in this place. What about my co-workers? Are they real? He looked at me and smirked. <laughs> they were real at some point. Prototypes for our project. But their bodies gave out fairly quickly, leaving their minds little more than barren husks of what they used to be. Memories, essentially. You should be proud of yourself, though. You're the only one left who's legally still alive. So... How long do I stay here? Can you wake me up? No, you'll remain here until your body finally gives out. No, no, get me the fuck out of here. I can't do that, James. If we wake you up, the cancer keeps spreading, and you'll be gone in about five weeks. In anger, I grabbed my boss and pushed him against the wall. He hardly reacted. I don't care. This isn't what I asked for. He pulled me away with impossible strength, not even breaking a sweat as he pushed me back down into the chair. I'm sorry, James, but we still need you. Phase two is about to begin, and for the time being, you're the only thing keeping this place intact. 
He didn't give me the chance to ask any more questions. I simply found myself standing outside the office door. I pulled it open in anger, ready to unleash on my boss. But behind the door, I found nothing but a brick wall. My coworkers still sat in their cubicles, ignoring the commotion going on around them. They weren't real. They never had been. They were just trapped in a bizarre simulation alongside myself. But whether or not they were human once, I didn't know. I heard more pings emitting from my computer. Dozens, if not hundreds of emails flowing in by the second. Emails, numbers, all asking me to terminate various simulations. I started clicking on each, desperately looking for my own number, trying to figure out a way to end the nightmare. After a few moments of manic clicking, I looked up from my cubicle. I was alone. Yet, the emails kept coming. Thousands of numbers, none of them mine, but I kept clicking. I kept terminating simulation after simulation, never finding my own. Then I stopped. I realized that all of the emails had been sent from the people whose simulation I had ended, which meant maybe I'd sent out my own number to someone, even if I couldn't remember it. I clicked on the sent tab of my email to find only a single message. Click here to end simulation number 10113519. Without hesitation, I clicked the link. Any risk of death was worth it, as long as escape remained a possibility. A white light surrounded me and felt myself being dragged away from the office building. I laughed in joy as the world around me disappeared. Memories came flooding back. My wife, my daughter, the disease that slowly tried to kill me. But I didn't care. I just felt happy to be real. The next thing I knew, I jolted awake. After an uncertain amount of time, I had returned to my own body. The walls around me were white and sterile, with cables stretching from various machines to my head and limbs. The end of a horrible dream only marked the beginning of another nightmare. My eyes burned from the bright light. I tried to move, but my body felt too weak, as if my muscles had been stripped off my bones, leaving me unable to carry myself. I tried to push myself up, using my arms, but they had withered away, wrinkly and atrophied from being unused for what must have been years. The only thing that hadn't aged was my brain. Using all that remained of my diminished strength, I pushed myself out of bed and fell onto the cold floor. I winced in agony as I felt my shoulder break. My bones were so brittle unable to handle even the most minute strain. While my eyes adapted to the light, I ripped out the IV lines and cables attached to me, a small alarm sounding as the machines finally lost contact with my vitals. Slowly, but with undying determination, I got myself up on my feet, once again learning how to walk, using the walls around me as support, and slowly moving towards the door. I stumbled into an empty, long hallway with doors on both sides, each marked with numbers, not in numerical order. My door read, number 10113519. At the end of the hallway stood a double set of doors, both with small windows. I figured it had to be the exit, so I made my way towards it while reading the numbers on the doors I passed. As I got close, I noticed movement on the other side of the exit. I quickly ducked into room number 615184, just in time to see three men in lab coats rush into the hallway. I held my breath and begged that they hadn't seen me, but they quickly passed and I let out a relieved sigh. Inside the room lay a man roughly 70 years old, chronically emaciated with legs so skinny it looked like they'd never been used. He was hooked up to an overabundance of cables, just like I had been, but his condition was more dire than my own. As I stood there, studying the poor man, I heard angry voices shouting from down the hall, demanding that the entire sector be searched for a missing subject. Me. Before they could get a chance to chase me, I left the patient room, and dove in through the double doors, leading to yet another hallway. 
one filled with offices and a break room. In my fragile state, I knew I couldn't make it far, so instead of running, I decided to take my chances by barricading myself up in one of the offices. I entered one belonging to Richard Burke, advisor. I instantly recognized the name. He had been the recruiter for the AP company, the man that admitted me for the treatment, my own fucking captor. At the very least, I figured they wouldn't start looking for me there. And seeing as the room was empty, I could, with some struggle, cover the door with different pieces of furniture, slowing them down just a bit more. I opened the laptop on Burke's desk, hoping to call for help, or at least to let people know that I hadn't died. That was the first time I could see myself, in the reflection of the black computer monitor. An ancient man stared back at me, one I hardly recognized as myself. Old, tired, definitely not the same person that had been admitted to the hospital. And by my estimation, about 15 years must have passed since they put me to sleep. I clicked the on button, and the screen turned on, not even prompting a password, nor requiring a login of any kind. A program was already open on the desktop. It contained a list of people, all forcefully put to sleep, doomed to live out their lives in a virtual reality. Next to their names, I saw the termination protocols. My heart sank. I wanted to end their pain, each and every one of them. But I knew that as soon as I clicked terminate, the guards would figure out where I was. So instead, I opened a browser and started typing, knowing that any minute they'd come barging into the office and take me back to my room. But as long as I still have time, I need to let people know that I'm alive, that I need help. I don't want to be here anymore. Thanks for listening. If- Holy shit. Bravo. Holy shit is right. Man, Bravo. Yeah. Doctor No Sleep. God damn. <clears throat> Go look him up. He's awesome. He's going to be in the description. Um, God shit. It might be the bro. fucking title of this because it's all him this time, <laughs> yeah, folks. I know. Um, God, I'm speechless. I don't. I got to listen to a bunch of his shit, man. I, I really do. I, <laughs> I really do. I didn't want it to end. Oh, um, it's so good. But, yeah, dude, that's crazy because we do talk about that a lot. Yeah. You know, like, what if that's really what it is? And it's like we're just old men laying in a bed and fucking. Yeah. Uh, it's once like we s- reach a goal, we're done. Yeah. Who knows? Well, we'll know one day. We'll know one day exactly what happens to us. But until then. <laughs> until then, listen to Dr. Nosey. Yeah. <laughs> and have a good day, you motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.